Welcome to the Musical Movie Marathon with your hosts, David and Andrew. And we've just finished watching Camelot. Camelot. (laughs) What did you think, Dad? (laughs) Oh, as usual, (laughs) I'm going to say, it was wonderful, it was great, go see it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, so I'd seen this as a kid on stage in my local uh, town where I grew up. The society did that, and it was fun, and I don't remember much of it because I was really young. And, of course, I haven't seen it on on stage since. It's, it's not one that's done a lot anymore. I think it was in its day, but <laughs> no, great show. Yeah, really good. I've got a couple of things to say about the story and the music. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so what's your initial impression? Overarching description of it, it's funny, and it becomes quite like sentimental and almost tragic in a way you know it also manages to work in a good amount of dancing it's got wonderful songs which you won't have heard unless you're in musical theater circles but if you are in musical theater circles or or singing circles Mm -hmm. like i've heard some of these songs at singing competitions then you would definitely have heard these songs if you if you're in those circles and so it is a well-known but less known than some of the broadway blockbusters from the 80s i guess and so it's it's well deserved of being known but it's this weird weird like hybrid of the blockbuster and the the classic um i don't know um I'm trying to think of the term for the musical with lots of tap dancing and... Yeah, yeah, the, the golden age, right? Yeah, the golden the age golden. of musicals. It's this weird hybrid of because it's so out of this world where, where those classic Broadway golden age musicals are typically modern day and typically have something to do with show business, whereas this is very separated from... from current reality it's mythic and it's yeah so anyway um it's it's a delightful delightful show um and so i would love to hear your thoughts on what you mentioned the songs the stories but i also thought that you would be really or you'd have some thoughts about adapting the story of of king arthur to the stage as a musical i thought that you've commented as we were watching you commented a few times on on that but but what do you think about the songs and the and the things that you mentioned in the mm, before? Mm, sure. Firstly, what a, what a Herculean task to take such an iconic story as a Camelot and and put it into a musical, knowing that the musical genre is light and possibly trite, yes. <laughs> and um, you know fun and it's got music and dancing, and, <laughs> you know, and and people go out for a good night out. They don't <laughs> go out to hear. Um, you know, a classic tragedy. <laughs> yeah, it's like a musical of Romeo and Juliet. There probably is one, but yeah, that would be tricky as well. Uh, yeah, so how do they do it? And at first I thought there was this amazing, crazy ability that Lerner and Lowe have or had of um, taking a serious story and adding light-hearted but generous uh, songs in it. And almost all the songs... Are light and fun and com- some are comical and, and certainly cheerful. Even if there's a little tinge to them, they yeah, they're definitely there. So yeah, well done for, <laughs> for um, finding the um, yeah the joy uh, in the story. You know, I liked your idea of of this sort of merging of two um, you know kinds or forms of of musical theatre, if you like. While there was some fancy footwork, there wasn't a chorus line of dancers, mm, although there was some pretty good choreography. I was thinking, you know, how are, are there many musicals that have combined this light-hearted, fun, sweet, in many places, joyous dance and song 
alongside a story that is, you know, obviously a love triangle. You've got, you know, battles and alongside that you've got evil, but you've got honour and, and hope and, and all these pretty major themes running through here. How, how can you bring those two together? And are there many musicals that have done that? And on reflection, actually there are a few. A Showboat had... Yes. had some of that you know I'm thinking there was a little bit the romance in South Pacific so has that trend continued well yeah maybe I mean Les Mis is very serious there's not a there's a little bit of comedy but not a lot not a lot um, songs aren't serious yeah Cats Phantom the big blockbusters you talked about not really they, they'll have comical characters like Phantom has some comical songs in it some comical characters I find a lot of similarities between this musical and The Greatest Showman. Do you see any of those? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because the songs, like you were saying, are light-hearted. They're there for some light entertainment, some enlightening, some lifting of the mood. So that serves the same purpose in, in The Greatest Showman as well. Yeah, I, I see the similarity now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's no mean feat no. um, to, to pull off a, a, a story that's got pathos and, and tragedy and some victory uh, and to end hopefully yeah. um, while still having an appeal as a musical, the song and dance and so on. So, yeah, it's so well well done. I have sung, sung, sung some of these songs, mm-hmm. If Ever I Would Leave You, mm-hmm. Song About Silence. Mm-hmm. Yes. For me, the story also has a higher theme, if you like, of or philosophy, really. This idea of Camelot being an ideal yeah. that will live beyond the event of Camelot. Yeah. Camelot, of course, I think historically is is not really supported. <laughs> yeah. But um, I, even so, even the idea of Camelot, you know, has, has grabbed people's imaginations. So, and it's, it's certainly a story that has lasted centuries. The version we saw had Richard Harris as the lead King Arthur and Vanessa Redgrave as Guinevere and everyone else were very fine players. Mm. Vanessa Redgrave, I, well, I knew she was a stunning beauty that, that many, many people talk about one of, if not the most beautiful woman of the 20th century. So she's right up there with Liz Taylor and Audrey Hepburn, yeah. But what I didn't know was her voice. Oh, yeah. What a singer. Yeah. Wow. And, and here we are, you know, seeing this beautiful woman in these beautiful outfits. The Cosies were amazing. And here's this magnificent voice. And her acting was fine, but was, it was, was really good. And, of course, uh, the, the lead, Arthur, he's, he's got the hard road. He's got the giddy joy of youth and apprehension of, of meeting Guinevere. He's got um, the initial meeting with Guinevere and the, the, the love that forms between them. Yeah, he has got a huge range oh. of, of emotion to show. And, you know, his, his deep, deep love for Guinevere, but also his deep, deep love for this ideal, this, these concepts of yep. right yep. and what might should be used for mm. and, you know, law and um, mm. equity and things like that. Mm, mm. I was fascinated to see um, Lancelot introduced initially as a comical character. Yeah. Brilliant, wasn't oh it? my goodness! Oh, how are they going to turn this around? And, and of course, they do magnificently. Yes, they do. Um, so you'll just have to watch the movie to find out how they do that. Oh, that's brilliant! <laughs> yeah. That's really good. But then, of course, you've got Richard Harris, uh, you know, showing his reaction to Guinevere and Lancelot's love, and mm-hmm. and having to live through that and work through that, and then, of course, fight for it. His philosophy—he he has a, a moment of despair, mm-hmm. like several, but 
uh, near the end here is this, a moment of despair and introspection and, and that's really dark and, and sad. And then there is a ray of hope that, that comes to him and that was really a really good way to end the show. Uh, yeah, so it can be done, this this very deep, very important story, but with, with some fun and with lots of colour and dance and, you know, chorus numbers and so on. It didn't follow the, the opera formula of recitative aria chorus. Um, in fact, I'll let you talk about the, the pattern that you saw in terms of the songs and scenes. In fact, I don't think there are very many chorus numbers at all. One of the chorus numbers I really liked was one in where the chorus became the narrator. Yeah. And they described the action that couldn't actually be staged. Yeah. It was um, very My Fair Lady. Yes, yes, it was very similar to My Fair Lady. In fact, I found a lot of similarities <laughs> with My Fair Lady. But no, I love that chorus number two. Yeah, and the similarities I saw were in the music. Oh. Um, so I could hear Pickering, you know, sing speaking away. Um, and, uh, and it's very similar kinds of music. So, is, Did Luna and Lowe write My Fair Lady too? Uh, we need to find out, don't we? Yeah, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised. For me, the, the biggest, um, obviously the spectacle... Great spectacle, uh, great sets, great cozies, great um, performers. Some of those dancers were amazing. Yeah. Deep story, which they didn't just... I was a little concerned that they might just trample all over the story, but they didn't. No, they, they gave it lots of depth and meaning and, and they went straight to the heart of it. They didn't deal with distractions. And, of course, the, the music is just... Mm. Oh, it's wonderful. It's really yeah. good. Really, really good. I'll share my thoughts now. What I noticed about the pattern, and I'm not ref- I'm not sure if I mentioned this to you before, but the pattern that I noticed with the songs was quite different to Singing in the Rain. There would always be a song at the end of the scene as the culmination of what happened in that scene, or like the climax point. Yeah. And, and then there would be a blackout, as if the song didn't actually do anything in the story. It was just there as a result of the story. That didn't happen in this musical. And and this musical, it was like there was one song per scene and that song was explaining the heart or the mind behind the decisions that they were making. You notice that. And sometimes there was a reprise at the end of the scene after they had decided what to do. Sometimes the decision would be made or they would come to terms with the decision that they had to make through song. And so there would be this conundrum or something at the start of the scene. Maybe someone would ask them a question and maybe before they give the answer, they would sing a song about their mind. That That's the type of situation and setup. It wasn't always like that, but that's the type of thing that I'm thinking of. And I think that's a really clever use of music. Um, it's it's something that I applaud Lerner and Lowe for. As I was watching this musical, I was wondering, where did this come from? Because I haven't, I don't remember watching anything in our marathon that's like this, you know? Guys and Dolls is not like this. Um, and neither is Showboat. Like, how did we get from vaudeville style, we have some drama and then we have a song and they're kind of connected to this amazing thing here? Like, not even South Pacific was as connected in the, the ca- 
in the way that the story and the songs flow together. More than the story and the songs, I mean the characters in the songs. Mm. And the character is the substance of the story. It has to be these people doing something that actually makes up what happens. These songs were able to get into the characters like no other show that I've seen before this. Maybe Oklahoma is different, but from my memory, I don't think it is. Yeah, so I'm fascinated for your response on this. After that, you can talk about the adaptation from the myth if you want. Mm, mm, yeah, fascinating. All these expectations you have of me. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> In terms of why have we not seen a musical like this yeah. um, up until now, I still have got so much respect for Showboat. Um, but it is about a community. While there are major characters in there, it's not as epic mm. as this one is. You know, I mentioned the Romeo and Juliet. I'm sure there's a Romeo and Ju- Juliet musical. Mm. But to actually make an epic story like this popular mm. enough to make a movie of it, that's that's some undertaking. And and there's not many that are... Obviously, Les Mis is the big exception, you know, to take such an iconic a tome mm. <laughs> that is Les Mis. And, and to make it successful is, is just amazing. I mean, it's almost a, a contradiction in terms, you know, to have a musical being so popular that is about misery. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. How <laughs> 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 does that work? <laughs> uh, yeah. So in that sense, I, uh, I think that they've done an amazing job. And I think the way they've done it is through what you said, is, is they have tied the characters, the action and the songs so closely together. There's none of this add-on stuff that we saw in almost all the musicals that we've had, mm-hmm. you know. Um, definitely Showboat, they had gratuitous songs in there. <laughs> to a certain extent, The Gambler One and definitely even in South Pacific. But there's nothing gratuitous here. That it's Everything is um, an integral part of the, of the whole. I like it. I, mm. You know, it's rare. Um, I would love to see this come back. Mm. One final word. Again, I just adore Richard Harris. He was just amazing <laughs> in this movie. I think you've mentioned that before. Yeah, have I really? Oh. <laughs> I might mention it again. <laughs> Just make it impossible for me to cut out. <laughs> okay, note for the listener, we didn't actually watch the 1967 movie of this 1960 movie musical, Broadway musical. That was based on a 1958 book, The Once Were King. We didn't actually watch that. We watched a pro shot, which is a film, a professionally filmed movie of the stage show. So it was in a theatre. There were plenty of camera angles and stuff, but the the set was the set of the of the stage, and it was only it was interesting. This it was only at the beginning and ends of the acts that we saw the audience, and we saw the curtain come down and things like that. And we can talk about that experience after we've finished talking about this mu- uh, musical. We can talk about the, how it's been filmed and what effect that has. Okay, now, the comeback. Is that what I was going to say? Mm-hmm. Talk about. I wonder if this is too sincere mm-hmm. to be put on. I can imagine Mel Brooks having a lot of fun with this. You know, this reminds me a little bit of the producers and the style of comedy it is. It's really it, making fun of its own characters. Uh, well, Some well, of the Mel Brooks's movie like that, of course, was Robin Hood, Men in Tights. Right, yes. Where he took a classic story and, and made it fun. And, yeah, there's some good messages in there as well. <laughs> and um, so this is similar, but it's also a tragedy. A hopeful, hopeful tragedy. And that's the thing that I was saying about, um, I wanted to say about Romeo and Juliet as well. Mm-hmm. I think 
the Romeo and Juliet is a tragic comedy or a comma tragedy um, in that it is so joyous and joyful to watch because it's all about love and yet there's death at the end, right? Winter's Tale is like the opposite where there's tragic thing that happens at the beginning and then it ends with a wedding or, or with a reunion and that, that sort of thing. Yeah. And so in, the, in that sense, both of those would make great musicals because they deal with the whole gamut of emotions, right? Mm-hmm. It's something about Romeo and Juliet that makes it musical-esque without even being a musical, mm-hmm. is that there are these wonderful comic moments mm-hmm. all throughout and these wonderful hopeful moments. And I think I've said before that love, not only love, but also hope um, are the key elements in a show. But there's one more element in this show that I think makes it classic musical is it's comedy. Yeah. Because it's so funny. I think that that's mm. almost... I think, no, I think it is an essential element. No, it's not an essential element. It's almost an essential element of a musical. And I'm, when I'm thinking oh, yeah, of... Absolutely. No, yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. I want to compare it now to Sondheim because a thought popped into my head of Sweeney Todd, which does have some love in it. I'm sure it will probably have some comedy in it. I think I, I'm, I haven't seen it, and so I need to see it properly. So in many ways, musicals that don't have any love story in it, musicals that don't have any comedy in it, are very antithetical to what musicals uh, thrive at being and doing it. And so I'd be very interested to see how a musical that is completely different from a romantic comedy um, could possibly succeed. How, how would it do that? Comparing this to Into the Woods, mm. I've got a colleague who's into musical theatre. Oh, and he really likes Sweeney Todd, and, and he said, oh, I didn't know that Johnny Depp could sing before that, before I saw that movie. And I was like, I thought he couldn't sing. I thought that, <laughs> that Sondheim writes music in such a way that anyone can sing it, yeah. especially if they're a good actor. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons why I think they were keen to cast Emily Blunt, who was like, oh, no, I can't sing. Um, and then she does Mary Poppins. And then she, well, <laughs> then she does Into the Woods and she's like, oh, I actually can sing. And then she, after that, she does Mary Poppins. Yeah. Um, but she, she takes singing lessons and stuff for that. But they were, they were more keen on her acting skills knowing mm. that if she has the character, mm. then she can perform the songs because that's the way that, Son- way that Sondheim writes. And I think that Sondheim, I think that Sondheim was influenced by Lerner and Lowe's style here mm. that is kind of rap before rap. It's character speaking in rhythm with some elements of pitch in such a way as to be sing-songy. And there's lots of different examples of this in the 50s and 60s musicals, like The Music Man, You Got Trouble, that song, um, is there's almost no singing in it because there's just so much talking of the character in a rhythm that goes along with music. There's similar, like you mentioned uh, in My Fair Lady as well, which was Lunar and Low as well. It was. It was. Um, in that musical and in, in Richard Harris's performance in Camelot, there's a lot of speak singing. Mm. And uh, I think that that's a useful tool in a musical theatre tool belt that we, we, we usually see that at the start of songs, but we don't often see, we don't see creative use of this technique speak-sing technique, mm-hmm. or, or intentionally by the composers at least. In terms of the speaking for this production, the performers 
portraying Lancelot and Guinevere were trained, well, professional singers. Yeah. They were, they were really good. Richard Harris, I think he's been trained, mm. but he's not a professional singer. And, and But he's a fantastic actor. And, yeah. and so it was absolutely right that he should play Arthur. And, yeah, so right at the very beginning, he, he speaks the lyrics mm. as opposed to sings them. He does more and more singing as they go I think Lerner and Lowe wrote for the character like that. I think they, most of his songs were ones that could be performed by an actor. Yeah, um, and he had a lot of monologues. A singer could, could certainly do them well, but they, they weren't great songs for, they, yeah. they weren't songs for great singers. Yeah. Lancelot <laughs> had the great songs for yes. great singers. Yeah, and, and um, of course Guinevere's songs were just absolutely beautiful and she did them so well. And I see that... Uh, kind of writing in My Fair Lady. So Pickering has got basically recitative. Mm. Get a woman in your life, da-da-da-da-da. Ignacta can do them really well. Mm. Whereas Eliza has the big song. So I could have danced all night yes. and, and so on. Yeah, so... And again, the young, again, the young lover has the yep. big singing number. Yep. I have often walked on that street before and so on. And that's the same structure as, um, as Sweeney Todd. Oh, okay. It's the, to my knowledge, the the wonderful male ballad from that show, the the woman that he's singing about mm. is the name of the song. Mm-hmm. And surprise, surprise. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so he's the main male singer, right. and then the the actor, the sorry, the the main character, is a speak singing older man, mm. and uh, the two main leading women share the other great songs. So I think that works. I think um, if you, you know, write the stories, write the songs according to the characters, mm. um, it certainly worked in Camelot. I think that would work. Um, you mentioned, you know, can you have a musical that uh, doesn't involve love and, and would it really work? Mm. Well, um, I think you can, but it's got to be exceptional and it's got to have some massive point of difference. Mm. The one that jumps to mind, of course, is Cats. Oh. There's no love story at all in Cats. A lot of comedy. Um, yes, a lot of hope. Cats, of course, is a it's totally different um, in, a, in, in terms of the genre and, and people have got to get their heads around it. Theatre goers find they've got to rearrange what their idea of a musical is when they see Cats. Oh, okay. And, of course, those who don't go to the theatre but go to see Cats are just... Oh, so this is new and different. If, if you follow the cat's example, you could say, well, if you want to get over, get a musical without a love story, it's got to be so different. Mm. And, you know, some, I don't know, fantastic setting or some... Cat's course is actually about a community. It can be done, but, um, you know, if you have a musical with comedy and love, you're going to have a, a good formula there. <laughs> Something I like to address is... Uh, your question about um, making this for today. Okay. Um, and one of the things that I'm drawing inspiration from is a version of St. Joan oh. that I saw National Theatre do, uh, or oh, must be four years maybe. It's not a movie. Uh, yeah, yeah, so that's right. It was a, um, a pro shot and it wasn't a musical. It had Gemma Arterton mm. as the lead and it was just amazing. What I liked about it, apart from the great acting, was they modernised it. They set it in modern setting. So they had technology, they had cell phones and they had video link and they had they had a jolly newsreader for goodness sake. They had <laughs> they had a boardroom and it worked. 
and you could see the St. Joan story could still happen. And yeah, and that was, I, I loved that. That was, a, I think if, if you don't do Camelot as it was originally meant to be staged, like we saw, which I think would still be fine, I think this one could be modernised. Wow, a I, bit like Romeo plus Juliet, the way that Baz Luhrmann did it. Perhaps not quite so tongue-in-cheek, okay. um, but I, I think, although that there is lots of comedy, especially in Act 1 of uh, Camelot, mm. um, but yeah, I, I can see, you know, a corporation mm. or uh, a nation, mm. or, oh gosh, there's certainly lots of comical characters running nations. Um, <laughs> I think this could definitely be a, a story retold in, in a modern setting. <gasps> Yeah, I mean, I can see this as like a, like in an Avita setting or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there you go. This this how I think this could be done. That's amazing. What I want to know is the music because the music is so it's really old fashioned, and this is really interesting. That it's great though. It's really good music. It reminds me a lot of the music in My Fair Lady, and it reminds me a lot of the music in in Sondheim and stuff. Mm. But it's not similar to the music in Lloyd Webber's shows apart from maybe phantom but the music in Webber's shows is very pop style is very or rock that's very um bombastic and, and brassy and it's not this kind of classical-esque lots of strings in the accompaniment type of music and it's also very dissimilar to this camelot's music is different from what came before it in guys and dolls which was jazz music. Mm-hmm. And even when you think back to Rodgers and Hammerstein, which was, again, as operatic as this mu- musical is, it's still the songs felt maybe a little more folky. Or because we'd heard those songs from Rodgers and Hammerstein been turned into jazz standards by the mm-hmm. pop singers of their day, mm-hmm. and we haven't seen that with the big numbers from this musical, we are able to accept the operatic performance of these songs a little less easily than we are able to accept the operatic performance of those jazz standards in the South Pacific and other shows like that. Interesting. So can I um, just jump in there so that um, I don't forget (laughs) what I wanted to say? Yeah, I I think that works. I think you're right about the music being true to the genre and that it's really the kind of music you would only hear in a musical. That's right. And I think modern musicals, they've got to figure that out. Do we want a showstopper song from this musical that can become a pop song? Mm. And Lloyd Webber did that with Memory and Cats. He sort of tried to do it with the music of the night. Lots of pop hits from Russell Dunnaman. Aspects of Love, again, yes. uh, Love Changes Everything. So I think he was sort of writing for that mm. pop audience, yeah, <laughs> not yeah. just the theatre-going audience. A technique that could work here, especially if you modernise the setting. And because Lerner and Lowe have written the Arthur character as less of a great, big Howard Keel kind of singer yep. and more of a... <laughs> conflicted man mm. and their writing is, suits that character mm. in a modern setting that could be done with rap oh yeah yeah yeah. and that's the other thing I think that will work into modernising these songs the songs are really good songs mm-hmm. so if we just get a modern style singer to sing them mm. but a, a well trained modern singer I think they'll still appeal to a modern audience Well, while it's a, a massive story, for the musical, they've really only pulled out mm-hmm. the really big bits that they they want. As, as I said, because the story is so intricate, there's so much detail there, they haven't gone, haven't been distracted by all of that detail. 
they've they've only got those three major characters plus Mordred plus Merlin, and and some comical you know characters. Helpers. Yeah, yeah. But those those are the big five, and that's really helped the musical. Man, have I got something to add to what you've just said. So Camelot is such a vast, sweeping story and we're more interested in slices of life now. What Camelot has done, it is it has told a sweeping epic story by zooming in on slices of life. And I think that that's... Pretty much three periods. But the uh, defining thing for this show, for me, is the introspection. Not only him, but especially King Arthur, writhing in himself about the situation he's in. But the other characters do it too. The other main characters do it too. And the songs come out of private moments. Apart from the big chorus number, which is the, the tournament, apart from that, all of the songs come out of these beautiful private moments. I just find that delightful. I don't see another musical like that. Huh? That, that is so introspective like that, and I love it. Mm. I, right from the start, mm. they did it. One of the things that, that enabled us to do was to see um, Arthur's character arc, mm. um, where he started off as someone very dependent mm-hmm. on his tutor, um, very insecure, and... He ends up being very, obviously, wise, suffering for his wisdom, <laughs> but still being able to be, to be taught. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, true that. Amazing. About that ending, as I was thinking about the context during the 60s of this musical, and I thought about where it sits in the, in the modern era of thinking, before the postmodern era, before, before massive disillusionment, when ideals were still popular. I mean, ideals are still hoped for now, even though they're not popular. But this was written in the late 50s. And throughout the 60s, there were these massive, you know, shifts in culture. And I can imagine people watching this show throughout the 60s thinking, yes, we want that. We want that Camelot. We want that ideal, that utopia, that peace. And there's one of his monologues where he talks about where he's envisioning this round table, where he's envisioning this all of the nations around just laying down their weapons and coming to Camelot and everything being at peace. I can just imagine these people in the 60s going through the awful Vietnam War and things like that and they just want peace. Watching this and applauding it, you know? And and it's quite interesting that I found elements of modern thought like evolution in this and uh, evolution moved in the 18th, 19th century, it became a very popular frame of thought that everything evolves, that, yeah. that even society itself moves from uncivilized to civilized. And so Camelot tries to portray that this, this man who's trying to civilize his country yeah. um, through law and might for right, but it ultimately fails for him because uh, the nation goes back to war. But it ends with the story. Every now and then you get a story that says, because we've told the story, people will listen and people will change. There's still hope that we can evolve for the future better. And so we have these two juxtaposing truths, right? We have this truth of the certainty of human failure that we will always go back to war. Our efforts for utopia will never be realized in us. But the story of heroism that we strive to attain 
will inspire future generations and others around us. That's a fascinating outlook on life. I'm not sure it's 100% correct. It's, it's got holes in it for certain. It's a very modern take on the Arthurian story, I think. And so they've infused this old story with this new outlook, which this old story can be molded to because the legend of Arthur itself is, is so disparate in its events that you can pick out certain events. And that's what they've done. They've chosen particular events to musicalize. I'll probably cut all that out, but it was still <laughs> fun to say. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, interesting idea about, you know, uh, do modern audiences want basically a moral tale. Mm. Do they want to watch a musical that has got a theme of goodness, of, of striving for right, or even if it only affects the people around you for a short time, is it still worth it? And these kinds of idealistic sort of things. I think they do. And, and my answer is, um, look at Marvel. <laughs> um, you know, the, the people say, oh, superheroes, you know, fad, fad, you know, rah, rah, and you know, all these, um, you know, the spectacle and, and so on. Yeah, but they forget that the heart of superhero is heroism. Mm. Well, obviously, the, the movies are making the super part, you know, mm. making the most of that. But it is, I think, the heroism is definitely part of the draw card for audiences to go see, you know, 10 years of, yeah. <laughs> of, of Marvel movies, 22 movies. So, yeah, I, I think Arthur as a hero who is beaten by the very establishment that he creates but still finds hope and meaning in, in what he did, I think that could still be done today. There have obviously been some great Arthurian um, movies. Excalibur came out in the 1970s. That was so popular that Monty Python did a, a takeoff, <laughs> which they called the... Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And the Holy Grail. That's a yeah, takeoff. That's a takeoff of Excalibur. Ah. Yeah, yeah. You, once you see Excalibur, you think, oh my goodness, that's exactly what they were doing. Yeah, well, perhaps without the shrubbery and things. Um, uh, but yeah, very, very similar. More recently, we've had what would happen if Excalibur was found today by some school kids. The legend lives on. Mm -hmm. um, and in terms of... Um, entertainment fodder, yeah, I think it's still being picked up. <laughs> so, yes, I think it can be done. Camelot as a musical can be done again. I think you get some clever lyricists like Tim Rice or, and Miranda, you know. We've definitely got the talent to pull it off. I probably wouldn't want to add any other songs. I think that the songs are fine. I think that um, unless you wanted to add a song for Oscar bait, for the Oscar nomination, best original song. I think that it's got enough songs to highlight enough of the moments. I think that the other moments in the story are perfect as scenes with dialogue. All right, well, I want to ask about the way that this has been filmed. The trailer that I saw on IMDb after we've watched this, when I looked this up and I thought, hang on, that trailer is of an actual movie. We just watched a pro shot. And the actual movie reminds me a lot of Oliver, which is a 1970s movie, and other 1960s and 70s movies, which are massive in scope, where you have tons and tons of extras. You have these massive sets these people walking you build a city in order to film in it right that's the type of movie that they were making in these in these days and it's just epic and it's the only way that you could adapt this story in this setting would be in that style I would be fascinated to watch a modern-esque adaptation for stage with just four actors 
and in um, a woman playing um, all of the side characters as well as so you've got your three leads and then you have a woman to play Merlin and Mordred and all of the other side characters um, the other knights I don't think that any of those minor characters interact with each other I'm saying that you could pull off the exact same script with just four actors I think that'd be awesome in in a little black box theater but anyway, you were saying that it could be set in modern day. And I think that, like I said before, this musical is just so sincere that I'm not sure if it could be. I'm not sure if, if audiences will accept it. Because there are a lot of there are a few moments where the characters are being absolutely sincere. And I think that a modern audience member would laugh at that because they're doing something that modern comedians do, except these actors are doing it sincerely, whereas the comedians are obviously trying to get people to laugh at them. Grief. Things like, like, over-the-top grief. And, um... Oh, yeah, I get what... Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, Richard Harris, at the beginning, I, I thought, oh, my goodness, this is really classic, dramatic yeah. acting, yeah. over-the-top kind of thing I expect from Laurence Olivier or yeah. something like that. But I think I got tuned into it pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And I think what helped was the story. So the, the story helped by doing two things. One, it had lots of comedy, and that softened the audience member up. And then when the, when the pathos came and the, the real drama came, that style of acting that Richard Harris was doing worked really well for that. That's true. Okay, but... But yes, you might need a different style of acting to, for a more modern, yeah. gritty version of yeah, it. True. Yeah, The other thing just about pro shot is the experience of watching it is very different i was inspired to find a live performance of this mm. by watching this yes because my empathy is less in the characters and more in the audience watching the play right because that's what I'm watching. I'm watching people watch a show. I'm not looking at the people, I'm looking at the show that they're watching, but the story that I'm receiving is that there are people watching this play. And so I wanna be part of that crowd of people watching this play. Yeah, what I found, I I agree, what I found with uh, watching this was I found myself being a member of an audience in a theatre, watching a theatre play. And so I was interested in how they were going to stage something. Yes. I was interested in how the actors were going to portray that given the restrictions that they've got. Mm. I'm mentioning like the tournament scene with the chorus becoming the the reporters, basically. It's fascinated that a lot of this time when... Basically, whenever they're outdoors, they've covered the stage with dry ice. If they're in the forest or something like that, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think a live-action movie on location would help the viewer focus more on the story and less on how the story is being portrayed. I I agree with you, and I I think that they got away with a bit of the dancing this way. Because it was on stage, I was happy to watch a lot of characters dance and I think if anything was gratuitous it was the dance we didn't really need to have any dance in it but I find that the smallest excuse for any dance break is enough because I love dance there are a couple of awesome moments of dance in the show 
which in a movie you'd represent that in maybe five seconds at the most you know you wouldn't spend two three minutes on it Mm. like they did here just to set the scene is is all those dances accomplished yeah okay i've got a final word okay and my final word is well i was a little apprehensive going to watch this movie i thought oh it's gonna be really dated it's gonna be really slow and it's about this tragedy and they're going to draw it out and it's, I'm not really a fan of watching love triangles but they didn't it was very watchable it was very relatable and of course the comedy helped but it was not slow at all and it was really tight every word was meant there was nothing I mean, yeah okay some gratuitous dancing but hey it's interesting <laughs> and if anything it reminded me of Sondheim in, in terms of being able to bring out the um, realistic ethical dilemmas mm. um, that characters face and, you know, looking at how they do that. Find it. Go, go have a look and, and, and enjoy Camelot again, especially these wonderful songs. Get it from your library. Yeah, final word from me is that it is not often that you get to enjoy such an ethical dilemma, like you said, worked out in a very human way. You get a look into a a real human's eyes and their heart and their life and and their mind and and what they're trying to accomplish. To lose yourself in their quest, to empathise with their quest, and if it's especially because their quest is so noble, it's not often that you get that. We've got a lot of dark stories where the quest is not very noble or the quest is fantastical, or the quest seems noble, but if you actually dug into it, it's less noble than it it thinks, than you think. And so it's great to be able to lose yourself into this guy's head and the other characters' heads as well, as you empathise with everybody in this situation. Yeah, four out of five stars. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, listen to the soundtrack, listen to the songs. It's just enjoy those songs because they're nice little fun ditties as well. Mm -hmm. Let's hope for more musicals like this. Is that everything? That's everything from me. Well, it's good night. It's good night from me. And it's good night from him. Good night. Good night. (laughs)